What's up, everybody? And welcome to another interview over here at Behind That Suit. And we have a very interesting guy with us today because, yo, we stepping out of the, we're stepping out of our comfort zone in this one. We're going into new territories and stuff with Mr. Steve Adamopoulos. Uh, you got it. You got it. Yes. You got it, man. Awesome. So that's real cool, man. So here's here's how this goes. I like to do a little intro with like what I know of you and you know etc. So here's what happened. I discovered a Merker Miyagi earlier this year, and uh, I saw this little minute, little video that got made or something like that, where it was like a day in the life or so. I don't know what it was. Just a little snippet. I'm pretty sure it was you that made it, and I saw yeah, your it's name. The that's it. And I watched that, and it was just like a pristine well-made like yo one day when i need when i have mostly when i had the money to invest in a proper video that's a guy worth knowing so i hit add friend and he accepted and that was wonderful but then i saw thank you for adding he casting right he starts casting shit and i'm like what a guy's doing like a movie and then i see he starts casting people from montreal hip-hop and i'm going wait a second that is like one of the most cool and interesting fucking things that I have seen because not so basically you're get if you look at the history of hip hop and you look at the really, really superstar type peoples, right? You take a Tupac part of his success is the movies is having that ecosystem that allowed him to be involved in it. And a lot of these guys have hip hop movies and things like that. that get made. Now I don't actually know that much about the movie. But the fact that I saw you willing to put people in the city into that kind of an opportunity, which gives them that level of shine to look a little bit different and show off like a guy like a Tech Luciano in the light of an actor, I guarantee you that guy gets 20 times the fans than versus not having that opportunity in his face to go do it. So I'm like, yo, that's whatever. But it gets a little better. So this guy posts about this douchebag-looking boyfriend character, and I'm reading the description. Early 30s, degenerate looking. Look, look at my hair and shit. I'm like reading this shit. At the time, I didn't. I, I recently started using beard oil and shit, but my beard was twice as scruffy. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, shit, that could be me. So I fucking apply. Man sends me a script. I'm about to go do the read, and then unfortunately for that opportunity the interview shit started working and i'm like you know what let's flip this let's do this interview let's talk to you and learn all about you because i don't know that much about them and this is the best way to get to know somebody in my limited experience so anyway welcome to the show as i understand it you do have a little bit of a history with music so i do like to start off this little question that starts off a musical journey and then we can go through your story and we can you know get on to all the good stuff so everybody's musical journey in my opinion is kind of inspired by their parents in some way and this is this is related to a little story i had where i saw my girlfriend bumping this tune at this point it's going to be a regular question but she was listening she's washing some dishes doing the black eyed peas other club jams and i'm like yo wait a second this shit's like club music but it really made me realize that when we were young our parents was probably bumping their club music from when they were young what they was dancing to is their chores music and then you got the car music and then you got the different vibes and yeah sure there's the pop music but really it's the the stuff our parents listened to that was probably the most influential to us as a youth because we didn't have any control over it it was almost forced down to it by our parents so i'm always curious about what was the music that was like being done with the chores and the car rides and all of that stuff in your youth that would have started your journey well, for me, growing up and everything, I'd say uh, 
It was mostly my mom that was playing music in the house. Mm. My mom used to play 70s, 80s music. That was her thing and everything. Besides that, uh, not much disco or stuff like that. It was rock and roll, uh, classic rock, slow rock. My dad, on the other hand, didn't really listen to any music. He left at an early age, so I didn't have a chance to actually have those car rides and right, hear right. anything in the car, you know what I mean? I was younger when we were, we did have those car rides, but I don't remember any songs being played. So I'd have to say it was the 70s, the 80s. It was uh, Rolling Stones. It was the Beatles. It was Prince. It was Rod Stewart. Music like that. Was there other stuff that you could remember that was like kind of super influential to your creative process? Because ultimately you are a video guy now. So I feel like it's worth going in you. Do you feel like in the parallel sense, there are stuff that you were exposed to when you were young that would have influenced you today from the video side of things? Well, I think uh, a parallel parallel side of things it would be the soundtracks in the movies, right? Mm. So you're watching these movies and you're hearing these soundtracks and you're getting enticed. And at the same time that I'm visualizing what I'm seeing on screen, I'm like, fuck, this is awesome. I'd like to get involved in it somehow, some way, down the line. And I never actually thought I would, but uh, things pan out that way. And it's a great experience so far. But like you, but, as, but this started when you were like a kid kid, like you wanted to like have this kind of a life in terms of being involved in it? Or like, was it a little bit later no, on? Kid, honestly, as a kid, you have the most stupidest uh, aspirations, right? Like, um, I think my aspiration uh, when I was uh, seven years old was uh, being an assassin or something like that. Oh, I want to be an assassin. Like, something stupid like that. But when I grew up, uh, the only thing I could remember when I was around 13, 14 years old was okay. rap music. Rap music came into the fold. You started getting influenced by the music on TV. You really liked the flows you were hearing. You just wanted to be part of that circle and everything. So it was more on that end. Do you remember when it started? Like when you, because uh, did you, okay, because the, the next question kind of flows into identity of music because around puberty-ish, you know, I don't know the exact age, um, people tend to go away from what was around them and start to identify what they like. So, I mean, rap music for sure, but do you remember like what it was, like what song, what moment it was that moved you in that direction? Well, <laughs> for me, I'd have to say it was secondary one. Secondary one, and at that point, I I was at a friend's house, sleepover at a friend's house, and yeah, we had snuck into his brother's room, stole a little bit of weed to smoke, and oh, you got the stash with the CDs over there, you know what I mean? That's where we bumped into Dre, The Chronic, Bill uh, DRE, hearing, hearing all those tracks. That's the first time like, I actually started bumping hip-hop. Before that, I wasn't really listening to music at all. I was like uh, more into sports and stuff like that, and really just like watching sports matches and shit. And that was my my main focus. But as soon as I got baptized uh, hearing those tracks, it's like I got I'm like I gotta hear more, and I just started exposing more and more. Uh, Eminem after that, the Marshall Mathers LP. That one I used to listen to it religiously. It was like one of my fa my favorites at the moment. And, uh, yeah, that's, like, pretty much where it started. So was it on CDs? What era of, like, consumption? Because even the technology that was around is a fascinating thing. There was also when it was 
when the uh, Columbia Record House actually we used to get tapes and shit like that. Yes, we used to get tapes, and uh, me and my sister we used to do all the picks. We used to pick all the shit, and we just fucking used to this, 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 and. Uh, this is going to sound really, because I actually tuned into a bit of that interview you had with Tech. Mm. You had an interview with Tech as well. Yes. It, I, maybe I tuned into a portion, 20, 30 minutes of it. And something that caught me was something that happened to me as a kid, which was, he said that one of the songs that he could recite to you by heart was Coolio, Gangster's Paradise. Mm. <laughs> Dude. <clears throat> that's the that's like a song me and my sister from getting those tapes back in the day never paying them back obviously that was that that one song that you used to put on fucking side a on the tape listen to it over and over again keep rewinding it play it rewind it play it rewind it play it rewind it and it's that it's that song right when you go to the bar you go to the club and you hear it it's like fucking brings back all these nostalgic memories brings it down memory lane mm. so i'd have to say gangster's paradise is one of them and when i heard tech say that it was like fucking bringing back to memory lane that's fresh i think it's cool that you're able to have that moment honestly watching something on this channel i'm just gonna say that to me is a fucking cool thing so thank you for sharing that for real um so at what point did you go then? Also, are you, you're from Montreal? I forgot to ask that. I should yeah, be asking that. Montreal. I'm born and raised. And uh, what part of Montreal? Yeah, Park Extension. Fair enough. And uh, where'd you go to high school? Just to get this shit down so that everybody knows. I got to, uh, went to Lauren Hill Academy for a few years. Unfortunately, got expelled from there. Went over to St. Pius uh, X, the 10th. Mm -hmm. I uh, did a few years there. Uh, also, I was supposed to go to Face High School, but they just didn't want to accept me. Fair enough. So at that point, I threw in the towel. I'm like, school's not for me. But even at that end, what, that meant it must have meant that you were already interested in arts and shit at that point if you're thinking about Face. Like, that's not a random school to, like, you know, go to. So what's going on in your life that made you even consider it? Well, at that point, I'd say it's, like I said, secondary one. When I was getting into hip-hop and everything, used to be in class. Uh, it used to be me and a few uh, homies that I had back there that we used to write raps to each other. So we basically freestyle uh, battling to each other in class. They'll write a 16, send it to me, write, I'll write one back, battling you and shit. And that used to go on every day. That's like the only thing I can remember from high school, basically, doing all these type of things. And it escalated. It escalated to wanting to perform, getting the opportunity at, like, uh, we had a school concert. We had a school concert. I had a friend of mine that had an older brother that was also into rap at that point. So this guy was actually doing shows. He was doing live shows. He was getting to perform with a, a crowd in front of him. And I'm like, oh, I want to do what this guy's doing. So that was one of the things that made me want to get into it. I was in drama class. I used to do a little bit of acting. Like I was always the funniest kid in the school. I had a bunch of uh, humoristic things that I always wanted to get done, and that's where I think it comes from. Fair enough. So, at what point then, throughout high school, do you like go from like? I guess the question is, at what point does it go from being like a hobby to like I'm gonna go pursue something and get involved? Because yo, you you know some names from hip hop, so you were involved with some people. Like you know, if you're in 2010 doing tracks with Tech Lucianos and whatnot, how do you 
get to that point? What is the first like pivotal moment from like the high school era, or maybe it's later that like guides you in that direction? It was like I'd say it was right after high school. It was a few years after high school. There was only one other dude from my neighborhood basically doing rap. There was one guy that had like a bit of a name, and people were like, "Oh, you got here, shit! He's he's lit. He's fucking hype." You know what I mean? And I heard him. You know, he was good. He was a he had good bars and everything like that. But his niche was like, um, "I'm the Greek kid. I'm the Greek kid." Like he always had to sneak in that he was Greek in his raps and stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, that, that only works for that specific group of people and everything. I don't want to do that. I'm like, I, I am Greek, but I'm not going to go around saying I'm the Greek rapper and shit like that. Mm. So I did it the opposite way. I just came out, started dropping some fucking bars, and people liked it. I had some opportunities to do some live shows, uh, some actually some openers for big names and stuff like that, since I knew uh, one of the promoters. He gave me the opportunities. Like, if you can sell 15 tickets, I was in a group with two other guys. So it's basically five tickets a piece, right? Who are you in a group with? If you can sell 15 tickets, you got your slot. I'm like, yeah, fuck, I can do that with with my eyes closed. I can get the tickets in my hand. They're sold in five seconds, basically. No problem. So that happened like that. And uh, that's how we uh, started moving. So who were you in a group with at that time? At that point, we had Park Extension Connection. We had Park Extension Connection, PXC. It was me, Soldiers. We had K-15 in the group. Uh, we had uh, we had some affiliates as well, but uh, it was nothing. It was nothing like huge. You know what I mean? We just started bubbling, and everybody in the neighborhood since we had Park X in the name, we had Park X in the name. Anybody that was from Park X, they felt like, oh fuck, that's something I gotta rep. Okay. Anywhere you're going, PXC, PXC, PXC. People were fucking with me. I had like uh, the older dudes in the neighborhood that weren't really fucking with hip hop or anything. They're like throwing their support behind us and shit. Uh, what, so that was always a great thing to see. And what year is this? Like what, what in the timeline? Uh, 20, like 2005, okay. maybe something like that around. Yeah, I don't know. Something like that. Okay, fair enough. So it's that part. Uh, maybe 2007. I, I don't know. I could get my timing wrong. So that's what it was. And uh, uh, for me to bring out a crowd to a show, not a problem. You know what I mean? People always wanted to hear me fucking rap and everything. Right. Uh, my homies, if they needed to bring people out, not a problem. It's always like, support you. I su- You support me, I support you. You know what I mean? It was always a tight-knit group of people fucking with each other. And uh, I had the opportunity to open up for Redman, Onyx twice, uh, Sean P., uh, a lot of Method Man, you know what I mean? There's a lot of names. I think we opened up for like 10, 12 big names or something like that. Do you have any like cool stories yeah. from that? Yeah, some good stories, you know what I mean? Like uh, that. that's how we like got into the Corrupt, the Corrupt uh, collabo. We opened up for Corrupt at the Belmont. That was a good story, actually. We were supposed to uh, go on a Canadian tour with the guy. I, had the po- I still got the poster downstairs on my wall That's saying PXC, Canadian tour, five dates and everything. You know what I mean? Ready to roll. That's dope, man. And there was, there was an issue because it was like Super Bowl weekend or some shit. It was Super Bowl weekend and Corrupt got an, a, high, a bigger offer to do more shows for a bigger slice of money. You know what I mean? So he fucking deaded that whole tour. Huh. And there we go. We get bumped off the whole fucking shit. 
because this whole Super Bowl weekend's going down in Vegas or wherever, LA, wherever that was going down. So Hemi made his bread. We obviously got the, the short end of the stick on that one. But uh, when we met him, on the, when we opened up for him at the Belmont, we smoked an L with the guy. You know, he was very, uh, he was a cool, collected person, very humble. Wasn't acting like a big shot or anything like that. We were talking with his uh, producer slash role manager at the time, Jay Wells. And Jay Wells is like, uh, if you guys uh, need a collab or something, like let, let me know. So we like talked with the guy and shit like that. And it was, uh, I think it was 700 bucks, like 700 bucks, but it was like fucking $200 each. You know what I mean? It's like, it's an investment at that point. You got a legend on your track for 200 bucks, 230 bucks. Yo, can I just, I'm like, hit him up. Can I just like pause you there for a quick second though? Cause yo, I like yeah. to identify the really, really interesting knowledge nuggets and what people are just saying. You've said a couple of interesting things kind of mixed into your story already so far. One of them is the collaborative, um, like a valuable give or take. So currently everyone's trying to do share for share and share for share is kind of low value because whatever, it's just not an effective strategy, honestly. But if you were to say, buy my ticket, buy your ticket type thing, as an example, or you come to my show, I come to your show and you have a squad of 15 rappers that kind of get into that thing, then everybody can bring 15 people to everybody's show. And that's something that I, I, I just never really thought of even trying to organize in my life before and that's a fucking was, smart was actually a thing. I'm telling you, we're doing that that was actually happening we were doing that but i also found out fat joe was that kind of guy and that's a huge part of how he got his success right because i'm trying to always find like the tricks to people's success and one of the huge things that he did is he made sure he was at everybody's show and he brought people to everybody's show and then everybody had to go to like you had to go to fat joe's show because you came to yours like why wouldn't you go to his show? it doesn't matter if you like his music it was about love showing love, love. Bro, love. Okay. Sorry. Love is love. You show love, you get love back. It's a support system. People see that. But then you will notice who's at your show and who's not. And then, like the other thing you brought up in there that was fascinating is kind of tied to the idea of groups, because you know a lot of people solo acts, a lot of people's whatever. But let's talk about a collab. To get a famous person often does have a price, and there is a value because let's say people in the industry see things one way, but the rest of the world does not. So getting a collab has a value. And let's say $1,000 today. If there's like you get three of your boys and you make it just a big track, let's say, now it is a lot less expensive. And that's actually something, again, I know they're like basic ideas when you think of them. But it's just stuff yeah. that maybe not everybody put two and two together. Like, yo, I don't, I don't have to be alone on that track with this celeb. We can just like team up, squad up, and like make that shit an affordable investment as part of our marketing endeavors. So I like to share that shit with people because I think it's like really valuable stuff. And so thank you for sharing that. Sorry to cut you off, but like I gotta make sure that we pause and break that shit down. I also think that uh, to reply to what you just said that. Some people don't want to get on the posse cut because they want to be the solo person on that cut. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like, it's me and so-and-so. Just me and him. I want to be the guy that gets the shine. I don't want anybody else to get the shine. Yeah, I could. I feel, like, I feel like a young me is that dude and an old me <laughs> has evolved. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll just do the hook or something. That's cool enough. Imagine just saying you're on the hook of a track with a legend. Mm -hmm. That's just a fucking dope yeah. sentence. So that's what it was, you know, like, uh, these guys were on the road. We got to chop it up a bit with them. Uh, his manager was really cool. And he's like, yo, you guys want to, you guys need a verse. He's like, he's like, uh, corrupt. I was down. 
So I'm like, okay, we, we talked about it for a bit. My boys were like, yo, let's fucking do it. Let's do it. And me, I'm like, uh, at that point, you know what I mean? I was young and stuff, so I wasn't really like seeing, uh, I'm like, all right, we're paying for it. You know what I mean? It's, I, I don't want to pay for it. I don't want to pay for it. But at the end of the day, like, yo, dude, this guy's a legend. You got a fucking song in the bank with a legend, and it's going to cost you a bottle at the club. Mm. That way it makes fucking sense. That's a smart way to put um, it, man. <laughs> let's do it. So anyways, we seal the deal on the, the verse. Dude sends it back 24 hours later. Got got all our names in the verse. Like saying, like literally shouting out little one, shouting out soldiers. Uh, you got, he's saying uh, Christopher Wallace, uh, Tupac Shakur and everything. It's, it's like a fucking deadly verse. 24 bars. Like, uh, I think it's like, it's one of those verses that I underpaid for. You know what I mean? Mm. Definitely underpaid for that verse. And it's it's amazing. It's an amazing fucking investment. I love that you said that though, because it's a definite way to look at it. As an example, right now, I want to just ask you a tangential question. Um, there's a contest, or okay, do you know who Amino Domini Beats are and Legion Beats and all these guys? Yeah. They're currently mm-hmm. selling a pack where you can get uh, a crooked eye. The crooked eye verse. Uh, no, not the crooked eye verse. About the beat pack. So the beat pack is cool. Right, because a beat pack, look, it's it's a flex, and let's say mixtapes, and there's a whole, there's a million strategies to have a beat pack. Exactly. <clears throat> on the, exactly. Uh, but what the current one that they have is a beat pack that contains like pre-written verses from four legends, including uh, Crook, uh, King Crooked. Um, mm-hmm. To which I'm like, I don't know, how, it's like taking it to the next level now, right? Like now you got like a verse that a million guys are gonna have on it, which is very different than what you did, but it's kind of still in the same vein. So what you did is the high value version. You save up, you stack up, you get a custom verse. Do you think there's yeah. also value in going the other direction and doing the low Look, end? From what I heard, story is going that direction. That you're gonna go get a pre-written verse and everything. You're gonna get that verse, but then you can't clear it. You can't clear it. No, but this is cleared. It's part of the Amino Dimini Legion Beach. They they did all that work. It's an official partnership. Once you buy it, you have the rights to use that thing. But so does everybody else who buys that thing. Then no, I, that to me, I think if everybody else is gonna have that verse, it makes no sense at that point. Why? If I'm gonna hear that verse on thirty different tracks, it's a remix at that point. Fair enough. Yeah, I guess that is kind of it's like a remix for the rapper that offered the verse in a sense, and okay, I see what you said. Yo, that's actually really smart on what that you're end. Saying, you're leasing the verse, basically. You're leasing yeah. the verse. Everybody can lease the verse, but if you want to buy the verse, hold on. We have a comment on the comments from uh, I think it's Rocket Fuel. They can release it everywhere. Uh, to all pat- platforms under a lease. I didn't actually look at the full terms, but there's usually a limit of like twenty. 20k or whatever you can streams or yeah. some limit but like it's within the realms of that it's like in in that land of leasing yeah mm-hmm. but yeah sorry go on um yes yeah, you don't feel there's value in it because everyone else has it and then it's just leasing with the verse and it's ultimately not worth doing fair enough yeah all right um that definitely 
is i mean i'm on that opinion but i'm just gonna you know if it makes sense to ask it but let's go back to your story then so you're opening up for all of these people you're part of a group mm -hmm. y'all made that uh thing were there any other cool stories because you open up for a lot of people so if there's anybody else that's interesting you open up for you got a little story for it that would be cool too well, uh, uh, i actually invested in uh, the onyx show one of the onyx i think it was the first time onyx performed in montreal okay if i'm not mistaken or i could be wrong i'm not sure but uh, i got asked to invest in the show i invested in the show with a couple of partners and uh while i was there i had walked into it was microphone check i walked into microphone check and i walked into fredro fucking blasting the dj just <laughs> fucking like shit. like Motherfucker, I came up under Jam Master J. Just like fucking eating this guy alive. <laughs> Very funny story that I witnessed. Uh, uh, we also opened up for the Beat Nuts. Okay. We opened up for the Beat Nuts. <clears throat> These guys, uh, I can't really get into it. Like, uh, the after party was really fucking wild, put it that way. Can I just say? The after party was wild, penthouse suite, downtown. Some crazy fucking stories happened. Left around like 10 in the morning. It was one of those nights, you know what I mean? You're the second person in two days to tell me that they went out with the beat nuts and can't fully tell me about it. I think that's <laughs> fucking crazy. Now I want to find out how I can go hang out with the beat nuts. <laughs> that's amazing. That sounds like a good time. And that's pretty cool because you're still very young at this point, if I'm not mistaken, in your timeline. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting the feeling where like, you're a little bit older than me, maybe, whatever. And so, yeah, um, what happens next then? So you guys are doing this opening thing. You're in your group. How does this elevate? What goes next in your story? Well, after that, there was a bit of turmoil in the group and everything. Certain people not getting along with each other. You know what I mean? Right. The whole shit fell apart. Just right when it started bubbling and everything was like going good, there was that friction that popped up and egos came into play. Certain individuals uh, thought that they were better than everybody and that uh, they were going to pop, you know what I mean? Like, oh, this shit's going to pop and so-and-so is not good for my brand. I can't have this person standing next to me. I'm like, all right, go that route, you know what I mean? Everybody goes their separate ways. Uh, there's a couple of subliminals sent back and forth from what I remember. I can't really like, fucking remember exactly. But uh, at that point, that's when, like, I started fucking with some cats from New York. Right. Started fucking with some cats from New York. They heard my shit. They really liked what I was doing. How did, so, you, how uh, did, you, get, how did you meet the New York cats? Well, it was actually, uh, I think it was through another dude that I met from a previous show that I did. I did a previous show, and this guy, I did a show with this dude named Rob Barlotta from Staten Island. Okay. I met him down there when I was going to, uh, uh, I can't remember exactly what the reason was, but we went down there as a crew. We went down there as a crew and that's where we met Block McLeod, Army of the Pharaohs. So we went down there. He's in Army of the Pharaohs? Uh, yeah, Army of the Pharaohs, man. He does all the hooks, all that, those sweet hooks that you hear. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
I'm not yeah. that that familiar with Army of the Pharaohs. I know who they are. I've done like the obligatory listen as a person. Brooklyn Academy. Looking Brooklyn into Academy. Uh, so I've looked into Jedi Mind Trips as part uh, Jedi Mind Tricks as part of the album review journey. We did the psychosocial etc cetera, etc, cetera, and we did one of his more recent ones. However, um, I do the last four years of my life has been this constant influx of album reviews. Like I'm saying, and now and before that. I'm that guy who's saying Hobson's the best, then there's no good hip hop. So I'm that loser for a minute. No offense to you if you're whatever. I'm not trying to be mean to people. But like, I feel like I was a loser with my attitude towards hip hop for a long time. So I rectified that. But that puts me in a position where I know Army of the Pharaohs is super significant. I know exactly who they are within the realms of being a Vinnie Paz is, is being involved with them. Uh, one of my patrons fucking loves them, like to a point where like loves them. Like, and I have them on a list that I'm inevitably going to actually get to. And then this story might be like twice as significant to me at that point. So we'll probably get a review in of them a little bit closer just so I can appreciate this more. Yeah. So yeah, back where I was saying, uh, down there linked up with Brock. I did uh, a few tracks with him. He had a he had a mixtape series that he was doing a while back. So that's when I reached out to him. I'm like, yo, can I submit? It was a submission process. You got to submit to get on the tape. If you like your shit, he's going to put you on it. I mean, he dug the shit. He's like, yeah, okay, I'll put, I'll put the track on it. He spit a hook on the, on the, the cut. So uh, we ended up getting on his mixtape. From that point on, I'm like, I want to get him on a hook. I want to get him on a hook. I hit I hit him up. I'm like, yo, man, can you hook me up with a hook? Got him on a hook. Sounded fucking amazing. Then I needed him on a third track. And that third track, it was like I was waiting forever to get that third track done. And it's like every time like I was hitting him up, he's like, yo, I got you, fam. I got you today. I got you tomorrow. You know what I mean? And it so happened we were in New York at that point. I'm like, let me go fucking hit a block. We're right down the block. You know what I mean? We're in fucking Park Slope or some shit. So uh, we hit up a block. We go over to his place. He introduces me to his wife and his kids and everything. He, uh, we go in the studio. He's trying to find the verse. He's like, yo, I, 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 he's trying to find the hook. He's looking for the hook on the fucking program. He's looking, he's looking, he's looking. And then I, he finally finds the fucking file. It's a hook about the... Uh, the track that I did, it was basically about a guy that has cancer. So the whole verse, I think I sent it to you. The song's called Tomorrow. Mm. Check it out. The whole verse uh, on my side is basically cancer this. Like, I don't think I'm going to live. And this guy actually thought I was dying from cancer, and he was doing, like, a dying boy, a witch or something. <laughs> so this, his wife, too, his wife's like, oh, when she's like, when I heard that verse, she's like, I cried. That's how good it was, like. So she heard that shit. Uh, that day, they like held us down. We drove, I don't know, like 16 hours to get all the way to NY. Six hours, six, seven hours, we got all the way there. Did some running around. Finally stopped off at their place. And they're like, yo, you guys can't keep driving today. You're going to sleep here. So this dude like offered me to sleep at his crib and everything. That was a big respect move on his part. Uh, I booked him for a show down here. We booked him for a show at the, that venue that was a skate park on Rachel Street. Oh. Uh, Underworld. That, that was, Underworld. Yeah, that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I booked him at a show over there. 
great times with this dude. This guy's like a fucking party, man. I'm actually one. I'm writing a script right now that uh, of a bouncer. It's uh, it's the life of a bouncer. I'm writing it with Block McLeod in mind. He's gonna play the bouncer. I already spoke with him. I'm super excited. And we're gonna maybe have a movie with this guy down the line. So what you're saying is, a Montreal guy right over here is hooking up with a dude like that and bringing him into a whole enterprise here in a movie yeah, that you're gonna exactly. make. That is an amazing exactly. move that you are doing in this city. That is huge, dude. That is fucking incredible. Like, sincerely, that is fucking incredible, dude. That's dope. Yeah, just got to see if it pans out. You know what I mean? We got this COVID shit going on right now, all these restrictions. But as far as both parties are concerned, everybody's excited to make this happen. I'm sending him the first draft of the script uh, shortly. So it's going to be like a short film. Around 30, 30 minutes in length, 30, 40 minutes. And I have a lot of confidence in him to pull it off because he's taken a lot of acting classes in the past. The guy got the broken swag already. It's exactly who I envisioned for the character that I wrote. That's crazy. Um, Man, so I guess you're doing the music then. Let's go back to that because we're going to move into the screenwriting and all of that, I, sh I assume. And that becomes, is that always part of your life though? Let's actually ask that. And so you're doing the music stuff, but is this other part of your life also fostering or is that like later down the line? Well, at the same time while we were doing the music stuff, I had a, one of my partners, uh, group members, that he started going to film school started going to film school and he really wanted to get into filmmaking and everything. So I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to encourage it. I'm going to foster it. You know what I mean? So I'm like, okay, any videos we need, let's have him do it. Since the guy's spending money and trying to fucking learn the craft and shit. So that was the idea on my end. Uh, he started doing our videos at the beginning. It was so-and-so, you know what I mean? It was, like, mediocre. Everybody got to learn. Right. If you, if I look back at it now, I'm going to be like, okay, that shit, like, I wouldn't do that today. I wouldn't make that type of video. I got more knowledge than to make that type of video. But <laughs> it is it, for its time. For its, for its time, it was, it was the market, you know what I mean? That's what it was. Uh, down Then down the line, I invested in the equipment as well. So I'm like... You really want to do this, but you don't have the capital to get the equipment. I'll buy the equipment for you. I'll buy the equipment for you. I'm your partner, basically. Okay. And I'll learn a little bit of. I'll learn a bit of, at the same time. You know what I mean? If if ever need be, that I gotta cover you and shit. Hold on. So that's what it was. So this guy was in your group. Yeah. And this is the same group that you were in before, or a new group. No, Park Extension Connection, same group. Okay. So. You guys effectively took the video process and made it in-house. Now, I think that's interesting because I'm looking at a lot of what I think are future, like the youth, what the youth are doing versus like the older cats. And that's a youth mm -hmm. move, what you guys just did there. And what exactly. I'm seeing is if you take a group like Brockhampton or a lot of these younger squads, they have a video guy that's just part of the group. He's not like external. He's their guy. I don't know. That's what you need. Now. And I realized that if you look at millennials mostly – not a lot of us ended up going that route, at least in my perception. My my perception. If you're looking at, or at least today, the way we're behaving today, maybe not about the past, 
But the way we're behaving today, not a lot of us are willing to go down that route in our 30s is, I guess, what I was trying to <laughs> convey. So I'm trying to find like insightful ways for us to make this all work. And I think what you just shared is really interesting in that same vein because there's probably a lot of video guys that's like, you know what, I'd, I'd be down. And nobody's really like looking for them. Not to say that there aren't a lot of video guys that are professionals and stuff, but it is an alternate way to go about it. And especially if you don't have the financing to pay up the money for somebody that is like of, let's say, your quality level, because it, it's an expense. I'm not gonna lie, it's it's a big yeah. one. But there are ways around that expense if you're willing to play a different game and foster a different kind of relationship with people, because it's ultimately going to be about relationships that you, you need developed. A, you need a dedicated team, somebody that's gonna. Yeah willing to put in the time and effort for you, no money involved, wants to see you grow. You want, they're seeing the bigger picture. Right. You know what the outcome is going to be. A lot of people don't want that. They want that, that money right now. They don't care about uh, what the future holds. It's all about right now. Yeah. I definitely um, appreciate what you're saying. I try to be a big picture person in general. Sometimes it's not easy, but as I get older, I find it simpler. But I don't know. I also like to have conversations like these where I talk to guys like you who have done very interesting things. So I just get exposed to a lot of new information. Um, but let's go back to your story then. So you guys are you've basically involved in this video process the entire way right. through your music career. Are you like directing? Are you just there? Are you like are you just doing the whole thing? At that, mo at that point. Uh... My partner, my group member, was uh, shooting. I was directing it. I was organizing the clip. Uh, he was editing as well. And uh, that's that's uh, that's what we were doing. And then, um, all right, so at what point, uh, I guess, you're, you're, you're doing all these shows. After the shows and stuff, you're moving on, and uh, you meet up with the Army of the Pharaohs guy. And then... What happens next? Well, after that, I got back. <clears throat> we uh, we got offered. We got offered a, a deal by some dude that met me at one of the shows with Block McLeod. He had uh, offered us a deal. He was affiliated with, uh, at least he said he was affiliated with Har Harlem Six. It's a Wu-Tang affiliated right. label. And he's like, yeah, I really like your shit. At that point, I was, which I still am, I'm fucking with this group called Tomahawk from Greece. So I was fucking with these guys, and these guys have serious numbers. If you look at their YouTube and everything, they got some clips with fucking a million views and shit like that. Based in Greece, like golden era hip-hop, that's what's uh, big in Greece at that moment. So these guys were getting serious numbers, and this dude saw me, like, working with one of the dudes and he's like, yo, I want to sign you. That's obviously what it was. He didn't even say it, but I can see that's what it was because he sees numbers. You know what I mean? I'm like, all right, send some paperwork, check it out. He's like, send me some more tracks. I want to hear what else you got. I send him more tracks. And that's when uh, I send him a track with me and tech. I send him a track with me and tech and tech hears it. He hears tech's verse on it. And he's like, yo, who's this dude? Like that's Tech Luciano. He's from the neighborhood. He's from the, the city. And he's like, oh, I want to sign him too. So I'm like, I hit up Tech. I'm like, yo, this guy from New York, from fucking uh, Staten Island or Long Island. Like, it was Long Island, actually. This guy wants to uh, sign us. 
he's gonna send over some paperwork. We're all super excited about this. We got the paperwork. <clears throat> paperwork looks good and everything. The split looks good. Uh, oh, he's gonna pay for the studio time. He's gonna pay for the clips. He's gonna pay for all this shit, basically. So this all looks fine and dandy. I'm like, I, I go, I'm not gonna sign anything unless I go meet the dude. You know what I mean? Right. So we arranged, uh, we arranged a drive down. We all ride down. Me, Tech, uh, my boy Hino, and uh, Shane. We all ride down there. These Tech. Tech stays with his boy at his grandma's house in Queens. And that's we have to stay with the dude that's going to sign us. He's like, oh, you can stay on my crib. Cool. This is when I knew shit was wrong. As soon as I go to this guy's house. <laughs> I go to this guy's crib. It's, it's a basement. It's a basement. He lives with his mom. <clears throat> I, I know he lives with his mom. I can, I can feel like he lives with his mom. But this dude's like, yeah, no, I just rent a spot here. Cool. Whatever. Um, Give him the benefit of the doubt. But when I woke up in the morning, like we had a session, you know what I mean? We fucking, uh, we wrecked the beat and everything. Tech was, we were all there at that point. Tech, everybody was there. We were like fucking working on a beat. It was a nice session. Then night, everybody bounced and he's like, oh, you can sleep upstairs. It was like a little attic space. So I left sleep in the attic. And I wake, wake up like at around 8 39 in the morning and I hear, uh, I hear, I hear this dude's mom saying, I left you $20 on the kitchen table. <laughs> so I'm like, this is the dude that's going to sign me right now. He's going to be paying for my studio time. He's going to be paying for all this shit that needs to get done. But I just heard his mom say, he's gonna, I left you 20 on the counter. So I'm like, okay, I ain't signing shit with this guy. And I tell that to my boy and everything. I bring it up to Tech. Tech wasn't there to witness it. So tech... tech Tech, uh, for all you know, it's like, that shit never happened. That 20 thing, uh, maybe you heard it wrong, you know what I mean? So, uh, we come back from this trip, and me, I'm like, I'm dead set. I'm like, yeah, I ain't signing fucking papers. I'm going to tell this guy, I'm going my own way. Tech decides to take the gamble, you know what I mean? It's New York-based, can make a lot of buzz. It's a shot in the dark at that point, but, like, fuck, uh, what else we got, you know what I mean? So he did what he did, but uh, at the same time, like I got this guy on Facebook and he's doing all these funny fucking moves. <clears throat> he's posting tracks like, "Um, oh, got this new track coming out with uh, two chains. This shit's a remix. It's a verse that I've heard before, and he's trying to claim it as his own and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he's doing this over and over again with like these verses. So at that point, I knew the guy was phony, and I'm like, uh, I think I dodged a bullet with that one. Came back to Montreal, had some some inner beefs with uh, uh, the video production side of things. Everybody wanted to, uh, well, not everybody. I'd say there was one person in the, the group that wanted more money than everybody. Why? Because like I'm holding the camera, I'm holding the camera. I want to, <laughs> I deserve more. I'm like, yeah, I understand, man. But at the end of the day, like this is this is also while we're going to register the company. So we're going to register the company so we can have a video production company. We're right in front of the building. And right before we go to sign these papers, we get into a fight over percentage split. Uh, who who deserves what and yada, yada. 
because we all agreed, those three of us, we all agreed on a 30, 30, 33, 33, 33, basically. And right before we go sign on the dotted line, one of one of us gets into a uh, an issue with the whole thing and says, I want 45 or I want 50, whatever it was. So I basically said, do you want 33% of something or do you want 50% of nothing? And that's where the conversation ended. We deaded the whole video production company. As of that day, I found, I'm like, fuck, I want to shoot videos anymore. Fuck this shit. Uh, I took a break after that, focused on writing raps, just having a, a good time by myself, you know what I mean? Focusing on my work and everything. And one day I go out for dinner with a few friends and uh, we ordered like a bottle of vodka or something, eating steaks, we're having a great night. And one of the, my friends pops up the idea of investing into a restaurant. Okay. Well, I'm like, oh, I mean, I'm fucking drunk at this point. I'm like, yeah, man, sounds good. Sounds good. Next thing you know, I wake up in the morning, the balls are rolling. We're opening up a restaurant. <laughs> so I went from rap, video, to opening up a restaurant. When the restaurant things became a reality, and we really started getting into it, I like put everything on, on hold. There's no rap. There's no videos. I'm a fucking restaurateur now. I had to learn all this shit. And I was also not supposed to be that hands-on. I was supposed to be helping with orders, uh, bills, and so on and so forth. My partner that enticed me to invest into this whole uh, restaurant business, he was saying, I'm going to be the cook. I'm going to be working uh, every day, 11 to 11. I'll be there uh, seven days a week. I'm like, oh, no, calm down, man. Seven days a week is too much. Just do six. So he's like, no, no, I'll do the whole week. That didn't turn out as uh, planned. <laughs> so, yeah, so anyways, this guy, uh, he talks all this shit about how he's going to be uh, there every day of the week. He's going to hold his fort down and everything. He's going to make this thing pop. I'm putting up the money. I'm putting up the money. I got my other homie putting up the money. This guy's putting up fucking zero. He's putting up zero dollars. He's putting up his, his uh, sweat equity. Okay. I'm going to be there and make this shit run. Perfect. I'm giving you an equal partnership if you decide to do this. After three, four months, this guy gets lazy like a motherfucker. He's like, from that 11 to 11 promise, it turns to 11 to 6. Mm. Oh, I can't work uh, longer than that. From working uh, seven days a week, he only wants to work five days a week. All these little things were going on. Uh, not to mention that he lived right across the street from the restaurant. So I don't know what the whole issue is. He was five steps away from the building. <laughs> so uh, this thing did good. We we were open around two years. We were on MTL blog. Which restaurant? If you needed the burger. Huh? Which restaurant? It was called Le Petit Boucher de Lis. Okay. Yeah. That's cool, man. So we had, we had burgers. We had tacos. We had like a special of the day home-cooked meal. We had uh, we had a lot of comfort food, you know what I mean? Something for that area. And we were also trying to make it a little different from what that area usually has, Suflaki and pizza. Yeah, that's dope. And at the, beginning, at the beginning, it started off good. We got good reviews, MTL blog, a lot of other uh, people writing us up and shit. It was just that we, we had the bad element hanging around. 
Yeah, the young guys, the young guys that uh, were being watched by the cops, always hanging around the building, coming in, buying a putsin, hanging around for an hour. And since I'm a young guy and my partner is a young guy, we're all young guys that are operating this business. They think we're up to no good. Mm. They're like, no way these guys are this young and they have a restaurant. They're fucking selling crack from the basement or something. I think right at that point when they saw who was like always coming to eat at the restaurant, they made it a habit to show up every day of the week, three, four times a week. I had three cops coming to my restaurant. Wow. For the for search. They always had a story to say. One day they came in, they're like, Oh, we're looking for a runaway. Do you mind if we search your basement? I'm like, you guys can search whatever you want. I have nothing to hide over here. So from all these instances, like uh, you have cops coming every three days, you know what I mean? It scares away the customers. Customers start talking with each other, saying these guys are up to no good. Starts killing the business. And that's what happened. After around two-year mark, uh, I, I had enough with the fucking business. I was losing my mind. I was there seven days a week. I was working like 24 hours a day. <clears throat> I was sleeping in the fucking restaurant. I was sleeping on the couch in the back. So it got to the point that I couldn't do it anymore. I decided to uh, tell my partners, look, I'm telling you right now, I'm leaving the business. I'm selling my shares. If you want, you can buy me out or you can keep it or you can buy yourself out too. It's like, fuck that. I don't want to stay here either. It's an Indian restaurant now. It's an Indian restaurant. It's doing good. <laughs> the location's still thriving. So what you're saying is in a very literal sense, the SPVM harassed you into closing in a big way. Like yeah. It was a significant exactly. part of it. Like, the, And this is, do you know like, what year is this around? This was, uh, I'd say, uh, 2013. That's crazy, man. Honestly, kudos for being yeah. able to pull that off because two years in Montreal is a big deal. I don't know if anyone actually knows that, but two years in Montreal's restaurant industry is a big fucking deal. Right, so congratulations on that. Second of all, big ups on pulling it off, man, because that's not something everybody can claim to do to actually pull off like without saying names i once helped somebody with a business plan for a restaurant in the so the fact that you actually got there is fucking dope right like that's all i'm trying to say it's, it's really impressive to me um and just the fact that even from a marketing perspective you were looking for an angle that was different than what was there but still provided a benefit to your community just showing that the user act like i am in software land so i say user but client consumer person whatever yeah, they were a focus in your mind and I think that's also a really cool and important thing to focus on because, you know, in general, when you're running a business, ultimately those are the people that are going to be your patrons, right? So keeping them in mind is cool. All right, but fair enough, man. That's a crazy story. I'm, I'm a little bit still, like, processing the fact that our cops, like, you know, like, you just encounter story after story, right? And you're like, can't make sense why people don't like the cops here. That makes a lot of sense. Like, that's nuts. I know there's at least one other dude on my Facebook that the cops show up and harass him in a very similar vein right now. So I see these little story, And now, like, you're saying this. And I'm like, wow, is this actually a fucking thing cops do? That, like, just because no, nobody knows about that. So that's crazy. And then, look, a, a little twist on that, too. One of the dudes that was uh, always coming to the restaurant and everything like that, he had, he had like, this beef with one of the officers. Apparently, like, I don't know if I don't know if it's true or not. The the officer's uh, mother's a crackhead, and she buys the crack from that dude, and that's why he hates him. Mm. And he's always grilling and stuff like that. So there was like this big fucking like 
turmoil going on. It was hilarious to to uh, witness. But uh, like I said, yeah, it was harassment, man. It was just the fact that we were young guys. We we're fucking making, we we're making an effort to do something good. We couldn't see it that way. I have a bunch of tattoos. Like this guy's El Chapo or something. He's got fucking kilos in the basement. A big operation over here. Uh, had a had dollar cheeseburger days. So if I'm giving you cheeseburgers for a dollar, like something's up over here. This guy's losing money. <laughs> Honestly, dude, that's like it's still crazy. Cause I mean, it's if it happens to you, you can't be the only person it happens to. Is the truth of the situation like that, right? And that's just why I, I'm kind of glad you shared that. Cause I feel like these kinds of things are we're talking about but we can uh, continue on to the next part because i assume your story does continue as you are doing some super interesting things today so what comes next so after that uh, like i said still in the restaurant business uh i wanted it i wanted to get back into the video business at the same time why because i want to do some commercials for the restaurant and I'm like, I want, I bought a high-end camera. At that point, I bought the Canon 5D Mark III. It was around 5,000 bucks at the time. Right. So I bought that camera. And I was, uh, I was friendly with this videographer from the city at that point, working with him. He did a couple of videos for me. He did, he did a nice job. So I'm like, I can fuck with this guy. Perfect. Come on board. I told him uh, he was using a lower-end camera at that point. So I made him an offer. I told him, uh, how would I give you the camera that I got? You can do your business. You know what I mean? Do your projects and shit like that. Uh, learn the camera at the same time since I'm handing it over to you. And whenever I need a video done, you come and you help me out. So you scratch my back, I scratch your back. Yeah. I'm basically giving you hardware right now. Do you guys hear what he just said right there? Do you hear what he just said? That's some boss moves right there. Now, I appreciate that. And this is another good knowledge nugget you shared. So, first of all, along the way, you invested in your own gear. And this mm -hmm. was worth investing in because it gave you the opportunity to save money along the way, etc., etc. There's a lot of reasons to have your own gear. But what it also gave you down the line was power moves, right? Because now exactly. you're able to go up to somebody else and go, I can make your life better. And then you could save me a couple little things here and there. And that's honestly an effective strategy to both foster a positive relationship with somebody else and get a lot of cool shit happening in your own life. So I think it's just one of those things people can think about. Invest in some gear, because even if you don't use it forever, you can always give it to your boy. You can always help somebody else with it down the line. And that is a valuable thing. Thank you again for sharing mm -hmm. that. So that's what it was. It was that. It was that wanting to build somebody else, build somebody else up at the same time. You know what I mean? Like I'm gonna help you out. Your gear is not up to par, and fuck, this is gonna be next level shit. It's a dude that I'd say I spent the the majority of that year with. You know what I mean? He was always coming over my house. Uh, he ate with me and my moms and stuff like that. So I'm like, I trust this guy at this point. We had the same vibe going on. I hook him up with the camera. And everything's going good for like a month, month and a half or something like that. Then one day I call him, no answer. He's not answering his phone. 
the, the second day, third day, fourth day, still no answer. After that, this dude went ghost completely. Oh boy. I don't know if he deleted me off Facebook or he deleted his actual Facebook, but I couldn't get into contact with him anymore, and this guy ran off with my camera. Besides that, the way I saw it was that he lost out on a big opportunity because that $5,000 camera that I gave him in order to invest in himself and build up his career and fucking make him a better cinematographer or whatever he wanted to invest in, and he fucking lucked out on it. Why? Because he burned me. He burned me, and now I have a video production company that's doing very well for the last three, four years. Uh, we have countless clients. Everybody talks great things about us. I have top-of-line cinema, cinema gear over here, and uh, that $5,000 that he ripped off from me, it's like a drop in the bucket, put it that way. And, I, and I, I'm glad that I, I didn't get take this guy along for the ride and he ended up fucking me right now. Let me ask you a question. Um, Cause I mean, entrepreneurialism is a fascinating topic. I'm trying to be my own little entrepreneur and I had some bad judgment with some of the early people I got involved with, but because of that, because of some bad moments, never that, that's a bad moment that never happened to me. That's, I'd be very <laughs> irate at a 5k loss like that. I'd be like, Dude, I was pissed for six months. Like I was fuming. I feel that, uh, and I love the lesson that you told because the lesson you told is powerful, but just to add to it, do you feel that it, it allows you to have better judgment and a sharper like ability to pick the right team members because you did get burns, but you were more cautious. Like, I don't know if that makes sense what I'm asking, but like, do you feel it contributed to that? Fool me once, you know, right? It's like one of those, like fool me once. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I totally agree with you. I won't make that mistake again. Mm. Like, uh, I don't know, like, at that point, I really, like, uh, thought this dude was, like, fucking genuine and stuff like that. Built up a little bit of a bond. I didn't see, I didn't see that happening whatsoever. I didn't see it happening whatsoever, and then disappearing act. So now, uh, the way I see it, anything can happen. It's an unpredictable situation, and it's better to just avoid it. Right. That's it. I'm not going to, it's like, if you, want, if you don't want to lose your friend, don't lend the money. It's the same principle. Just leave everything uh, out of it. Fair enough, man. So, yeah. at what point then? Uh, so after you lose your camera, what what comes next? How do you get yourself back into this and uh, you bounce back after? I guess I don't know. Six months maybe happens. How, you know, you tell the story. I don't know what the fuck happens next. So it took about a year after that. Say about a year. Didn't do shit. No rap. No video. Restaurant, I'd like, I just sold out of the restaurant and everything. Done with that. That year, I, I must have slept. Bro. I don't know how, many, how much time, how many hours I slept to make up for all the hours I didn't sleep for the previous two years being in the restaurant business. And can't remember when, but I woke up one day and I'm like, I got to get some shit popping. Something's got to get moving, you know what I mean? I bought a drone for the fuck of it. I bought a Phantom 4 Pro. Bought the drone. I'm like, it's got a camera. So it's got something I like on it. And it's like, it's it's still a hobby on the hobby side because it's a game. It's a toy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I started using this thing. The fucking image was amazing on it. And uh, I meet the, 
I meet my current partner right now. That's part of my company. I meet him through a mutual friend, and he has a camera. He has an actual handheld camera. It was a $1,000 camera, Sony A6000. So I meet him, and he's like, uh, he knows I have the Phantom 4 Pro, and he asks me, would you be down to go shoot a little project for, uh, for Subaru? Subaru Montreal, one of the dealerships. So I'm like, fuck, yeah, why not? Subaru Montreal, I'm down. So we go shoot a little a little ad with the camera. We got the drone fucking pulling 360s around the Subaru and everything. We did a nice, uh, nice fucking video for it. We loved it. We loved the video. We hired us to do another video. So from that point, I, like we, we sat down with each other, and I told him, you know, we can make a lot of money doing this, right? <clears throat> him, him at that point, he had his camera. He just wanted to make uh, educational workout videos. Yep. That's, that was his goal. He wanted to make educational workout videos, put them on YouTube, get views. And I told him, look, we can make money with this. I go, you got a good eye. You have a good eye. I think I have good directional skills and stuff like that. And uh, communicating skills to go out there and get these jobs and stuff. So we started a little business and we started reaching out to people, cold calling, getting the gigs, hitting up some big names out of the blue, just like, fuck it, let's see what they say. Call up Kurdish Aval. Kurdish Aval, oh yeah, we need a video. First two minutes on the line with Kurdish Aval. Land the land job with Kurdish Aval. So stuff like that, you know what I mean? Did the about a year, a year's worth of work with Rudsack. Rootsack, I don't even know how you pronounce it still to this day. But started working with a lot of big uh, names. Fuji Film, uh, a bunch of musicians in the city. And from that point, it just started elevating, elevating. And my uh, partner, the way he sees it, he goes for the big, the big, uh, volume, the big uh, price customers and stuff like that. He doesn't want to try to reach out to the small end and uh, waste your time for a $500 video because there's no actual return in it. He's like, I want to hit the companies. I want to hit the people that have bank and they want to pay $20,000 a video. At the end of the day, that, that feeds you. That feeds your family. It makes sense. That's a business move. So him, he has a very business mind. And from that point on, we just started growing the company, man. And every, every day, we just keep getting new clients. That's crazy. So that explains a lot, I guess, about your video life and your experience, which is just crazy. I mean, what's the name of your company? How do people find you if they want to hire you? King's Court Productions. King's Court Productions. You can find us on, yeah, productions.com. You can find us on Instagram, kings underscore court underscore productions. We got a link. Or King's Court. So yeah, everything. And uh, check out the work. Check out the work. That's fucking cool, man. So, at what point do you go? I'm gonna make this movie. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming. Ah, the movie. The movie has been in my head for a while. To be honest with you, the actual story itself has been in my head for a few years now. Only with the recent, the first lockdown that happened, I got the nudge to write it. Okay. I'm like, now I have time to actually make this thing happen. I didn't know one thing. I didn't know the first thing about writing a script. So I had to do my research. How do I fucking format this script? 
oh, I got to download this app. That way it's going to format it the right way. Let's read some scripts, see how the uh, uh, caption the scenes and stuff like that, how everything's written. Basically, see, see the skeleton. So I saw that. I started writing it on that end. And the scripts grew. It grew over time. I started last January. We're uh, heading into uh, January now, so it's about a year. Got the cast pretty much fully casted. Unfortunately, we got to find new uh, cast members for certain actors, for certain characters, because uh, they can no longer do the film. They have other commitments. So that's going to be a little bit of a challenge. But uh, it's going to be an exciting moment. I can't wait to get this thing started. Can't wait to clap that clapper and say action for the first time on this film. Well, hold on. So you, so I feel like we just blitzed through a lot here. Like, there's a lot to, like, dude, you just said, I decided I'm going to make a movie. I don't know, fuck all. And now we're making the movie and I'm real excited. And I'm like, okay, okay, like, there's a little <laughs> more I think we can get out of this because that's fucking incredible. First of all, that's that role model shit to me. That's that shit that, like, what makes you, in particular, somebody worth sitting here and talking to in this kind of a context because end of the day a lot of people know how to like dream but they don't know how to execute and at this point in your story i've seen you execute on music a video production company you managed to go and execute um connections in other cities with rappers and stuff to the point where today you've already started working on some future shit down the line like the way your mind works is super interesting can you tell us a bit more about like how you went about the challenges like obviously you're not going to give away the plot to your movie etc but what can you tell us about the process of like actually going through creating a movie for the people that are out there because you like somebody like me i don't know shit all about shit all about movies like to me it's like yo i get the general premise of how a video is made but like Mm -hmm. tell us more about the process of like going from this an idea to wow i've got all these people booked and shit yeah, well, it's a fucking, it's a long process, dude. So it all starts with the idea. You have the idea. Then you put that idea to the paper. You write it all down. And as soon as that moment, as soon as you finish the script and you're ready to get it popping, that's when the fun starts. That fun that I'm talking about right now is finding a first AC. I'm going to mention all these things that you probably have no idea what I'm saying, yeah. but I'm going to throw them out. You feel free to just <laughs> say what they are. What's the AC? So, uh, assistant camera. You need your assistant camera. You need your assistant director. What? You need the makeup artist. You need the sound guy. You need the... You got to find all these locations that you wrote on your script. You got to find them and make them as true as uh, possible to what you wrote. You got to find the... Uh, uh, you got to find props you gotta find uh, the blood you gotta there's a lot of fucking factors that go into play over here and while you're doing the calculations to see how much all these things are going to cost and it's times let's say a feature film will take around 18 days to film the way we're going to shoot it so 18 days times all these people i just mentioned have to get paid oh boy we have all these things and you go through the process of asking for all the candidates possible. Send in your CVs. Let me see what your price rate is. And I think that's the most challenging part of making the movie. 
Because once once you, you get it, you get your idea onto that paper, it flows. That's what I think. As soon as you put your me how I work, I get I take a six pack of beer or something. I'll open up my notepad and I'll start getting cracking on my story. That uh, particular script, I must have revised it ten times. Mm. Those ten different revisions. So many things that have changed in the original script that uh, I have like ten different versions of the movie in my head. And now you have the pristine one that I want to show everybody. Okay. It's a lot of process behind it, man. It's very similar to songwriting in that regard, where like often you'll have like an idea, and if you're doing it right, I find in the writing process you accept editing is a good thing, so you go back to ideas. Maybe that particular line doesn't fit, so you rework right. it so it gets snugger in the pocket, and and then you get to the point yeah. where everything just feels right and it's all polished, and you put it out into the world. Um, but I think what was super interesting about what you were saying is you've been on the hiring front. You have to come up with your full list of everybody that's involved. And you know what? The nuances of what every role is, people can just Google, etc. It's It's fair enough. Um, but what you said that was super fascinating is that, first of all, don't just take the first person. Do it professionally. And that's something I caught about how you were, like, looking for people. It was all these, like, like a business posting for positions. And um, then you said you were, like, taking CVs and you were comparing prices. And effectively, you had to create a budget to what it is you can actually afford versus the best value across each of the positions. So with that in mind, some positions are going to be worth more than others. And this is no disrespect to any positions, but what would you say are the most important roles in a movie that you should prioritize the top quality on versus something else? And again, mm. it's not meant to put anybody in regards. It's just about budgeting concerns and advice to other people who would ever want to take this endeavor. Well, look, everything everything is equally important in my books, but uh, the two main things that everybody wants to see when they watch a movie is great visuals, and they want it to sound good. Sound is very important. A lot of people don't realize how, how important sound is to a movie. Mm. That gravel that the, the foot is walking over, the lighter being flicked and stuff like that, that takes time. There's a lot of sound design that goes behind that. And that's what I think is the most important part of the film. It's, it's, it's either you're visualizing or you're listening. Right. Yeah. So tell us a bit about sound design. I don't know a lot about it, but you're like face lit up a little bit when you said it. So I'm curious if you can expand a bit about what it's like to go through that process. Sound design. I can't really get into it. It's not my uh, forte, okay. but, uh, uh, I'll get into the actors. Okay. Choosing the act, everything, how we got into choosing tech, choosing Merker. Uh, we're using, uh, we're, we have one actress on board, actor, actually. There's, everybody wants to be an actor nowadays. There is no genderism in it. Fair enough. Uh, Lisa McCormick, very talented, very talented. She's phenomenal. Can't wait till you guys see her on screen. The performance that she, just from her audition tape that she sent me, she's uh, she's top of the line. She's also working on Home Alone. She's on the new Home Alone film. Okay. And she's in the new Halle Berry movie, uh, Moonfall. Okay. So that's serious. Yeah, we also got Tech Luciano on the film. Tech Luciano, local hip hop favorite over here. He's playing Victor Beaumont. He's one of uh, 
he's the main character of the script, actually, Victor Beaumont. And I think Tech, Tech uh, out of 30 people that came to the audition to get this role, as soon as Tech came in, his charisma, his, uh, his, his braggadocio and everything, you know what I mean? He knew what he was doing. And I'm like, fuck, we need him. We're going to put him as the main role. It was actually between him and Merker. Okay. Because, guys, I think it comes to a fact that you're a hip-hop artist and you have to memorize lines and you have to remember 15 minutes. You're going to go do that set. So I found that uh, when it came to them actually remembering the script at hand, they were phenomenal with it. Yo, for real, eh? So memorizing is a big part of the role. Uh, Because I was... Mm -hmm. Part of why I didn't take on the the thing is because I didn't I knew I no longer had the fucking opportunity to memorize it. I was sitting there. There were two days left. I I was impressed with my abilities. I'm not gonna lie. I think I could have I could have done it. Uh, cause not like that much, but um, it was well written. I, I really enjoyed it. I really like like I could picture the scene and everything. I could picture it playing out in my head the way you wrote it. <laughs> which which made it easier for me, I guess, to picture this character and kind of make up a story in my head for who the fuck this guy is. Like, I didn't need more than what you gave, which was really cool. Um, but yeah, that memorization part is very important. That's something I realized, especially if you're trying to impress people. If you don't have to impress people, memorizing doesn't fucking matter. But I don't know you, so it's very important to impress you. So I have to, like, memorize or, like, use the same thing in, like, contest, all this other shit. If you're trying to impress... Memorizing actually is a huge element to like kind of sealing a deal in some people's minds versus not doing it. So you're saying uh, it was really the hip hop people that came through with the ability to just do it. Came like... through. Came through. Uh, we felt the ca- we felt the characters. You know what I mean. And the funny thing is, like, uh, I posted it on Facebook. Let's say posted on Facebook, looking for Tommy. Small description of him. Merker hits up. He's like, "Yo, I'd like to try out for Tommy. I think I'd be good." Tech hits up for, "I'd like to try out for Victor. I think I'd be good." <clears throat> so they come and they try out for these characters, and they were both fucking spot on. So I'm like, "Yeah, they felt these characters even before they actually got to know these characters." That's what I really liked about it. Mm, that's cool. Yeah, I think it's cool because, like, I mean, there might be people out there that see things like this in the future, right? I mean, maybe you start a wave. Maybe not everybody's getting into movies because you proved that it can be done and it's a dope endeavor or some shit. That'd be fucking fire. So now we see more posts in the future. You're just telling people some good advice on how to like actually impress the person who's going to ultimately choose these types of things. And that's valuable because yeah. it's the same thing with like job interviews and all the other shits that you're going to ever have to do in life. So it's mad translatable into other skills. So super valuable in my opinion. Um how do you make a movie with like the future of COVID and like, does that like fuck everything up in your mind? So far it's already been fucking everything up. The original shoot date for this movie was supposed to be October 13th. We're obviously in December at that point and uh, that's going to go out as planned. But uh, hopefully we can get it. We were supposed to start shooting the next shoot date was supposed to be January 8th. We're on lockdown again until the 11th. So I got to come up with new dates as far as uh, the whole social distancing on set and everything. Everybody's got to wear masks. Everybody has to stay two meters apart. Uh, people have to eat. 
lunch by themselves. You can't sit and converse with somebody. Does that the only people that can take off their masks at all during the whole uh, process on set is the actors. And they can only take them off for the scene. And they have to put them on right after they finish their scene. Um, are they allowed to, like, go closer? Like, can they touch and shit? Like, yeah, you can touch. So, like, you can just kind of... You kinda... can touch, like... Uh... Normally, how it works on the sets nowadays, like from my previous experience last month, is uh, you have to go get a COVID test, like the the day before, or two days before, show that you tested negative. So if you have these like close up intimate scenes, okay. If not, you just follow these rules that I told you, and keep your distance. That's it. Fair enough. So after this movie's done, what other kinds of stuff do you have in your future? Because I feel like, I mean, let's let's pretend this all works out. You're winning. You're killing it. What's your wish list like? What are some of the crazy things you still want to accomplish? Well, uh, after this, I already have three short stories that I wrote. So I have a sh- I have this feature full feature film. It's gonna be around ninety minutes long. I have the one of the short stories is called Off the Grid. It's a nice story. It's a nice story about 17 pages, 20 minutes long. I have another story called Last Goodbye. It's a very emotional piece about uh, a middle-aged woman that uh, just lost her father and she's trying to uh, keep her family together, basically. Okay. Very heartfelt, very heartfelt. So I think that's going to be something people are really going to enjoy. And I have this other film that I'm working on. It's uh, it's basically uh, it's basically like Dexter with a twist, basically. Okay. <laughs> I can't really get into it because if I tell you the idea, everybody's going to hear it, and maybe somebody's going to run with it okay, and get to it man. before I do. <laughs> I try hard not to like be cautious about those kinds of questions because I kind of want to like goad people into revealing too too much. Uh, I, the only thing I really push on is marketing strategies because that's my shit, and I think everybody should talk marketing more. Uh, just in life, I'm curious about like because I don't know a lot about movies, right? So let's pretend I want to start a movie review show. I tried it. I'm really good at like this is the plot and this is what I think of the dialogue. That's basically where i'm at with it and uh let's say i wanted to like go okay i'm gonna go do like a movie review what are the things that are important like what am i actually supposed to be looking for to like effectively do that i would review a the acting the performances right see how believable they are i would uh, review the cinematography how good it looks the lighting how well they lit their subjects and everything like that <clears throat> there's a certain threshold of what makes a B movie, a C movie, and an A list movie. Okay. So it's all these things, you know what I mean? Like I can, you can see a Transformer movie and say, okay, this shit's worth a hundred million dollars. Then you can see a movie like uh, uh, Slumdog Millionaire. That's more gritty, more raw. And it costs way less to make and everything like that. But it's still just as powerful because it has great cinematography, has great acting, has great story, subject matter. All these things come into play. And you got to 
you gotta I would I would even break down the plot points, how it usually there's three phases in it. There's the beginning, the middle and the end, your climax. Mm. Usually it's that's where a lot of movies lose out, is at the end. That's where they lose all their uh their mojo that they had at the beginning of the movie. I think that's fair. Um you see it a lot in video games. I started watching a lot of video game reviews, and there's probably a lot of parallels in the way video game storylines and movies are structured. Because, I mean, you could argue that in a lot of ways, the more bigger open world games are just super movies in what they're trying to be. Exactly. Like when I'm playing Cyberpunk <laughs> now, it's very much a movie experience that I'm playing through. And the gunfights and shit are really easy. They're long because the guys are hard to kill, but. Really, it's a complicated movie. Um, would you ever fuck with video games? Like, would you ever go down that path? Would be sick. What would be sick to do is write the story for a video game. That's what I'm. Oh gosh, that would be fire. Write the fucking story for the video game, and I can totally see it happening. Because at the end of the day, some short films that I'm working on, if you really break it down, those dialogue parts and everything spliced up in between fight scenes and shit like that that you would have in gameplay would make for a full-length game probably what do you consider a full-length game to be obviously i would want to do something horror you know something freaky a gta style game or something like that resident evil that would be my my kind of thing that i'd want to do that's fire man i just like the fact that instantly you're imagining it you're trying to picture it like have you thought about it for a while or is it just you have that kind of mind I actually thought about it uh, when they announced that Unreal Engine. Okay. Everybody's like on that fucking Unreal Engine thing. And then one of my homies, Seven Leaf, shout out to Seven Leaf. He brought that up and he's like, dude, we should make a video game. I'm like, look, I can't, I can't make the video. I'm, I'm like, I wouldn't want to make the video game. It's too much effort and everything to fucking program, do software stuff like that, whatever. I don't know what it takes. But I, I would, I would uh, contribute the storyline. If you want, I'm down for that. So, like, a storyboarding perspective and directing it in yeah. that regard, that's fresh. Exactly. That's that's really cool. Um, honestly, um, at this point, I'm not really sure what else to say. My brain is just running out of. It. Is there anything else that you're curious about? What do you think about at this moment? Uh, we're talking about films and everything. That's Seven Leaf. I'll throw a little something about Seven Leaf right now. He might be uh, doing the sound design or a portion of the sound design on the film, as well as Merker. He said he wants to contribute some of his time and effort on that. Oh, that's dope. So that's going to be something exciting to see uh, them compose some music for the film. I'd like to see that, see what they can do. Uh, Seven Leaf has a good history with me. Met him a while back. Met him at a video shoot with even more. Great story over there. I spit a fucking mean 16. And the dude's like, yo, I got to get you on a track. Put me on a track. And ever since then, we've been working together, collaborating. Uh, he linked up. Uh, I can't remember how he linked it up, but he uh, he got a cool G-Rap hook for us on a track. No shit. I'm like, fuck, oh, yeah, we got cool G-Rap on a track. You got cool G rap cool on a track. Rap on a track. Yeah. That's fucking so that fire. was a nice like, 
some stories from my Brooklyn days when we went down there. We uh, we did the Sean P show, Helter Skelter, Sean P and Rockness Monster. It was one of their last shows before uh, right. Sean P passed away. We went. It was in Brownsville too, the Mecca. You know what I mean, right where he's from and everything. So we go to Brownsville. It's at a it's at a Russian nightclub. Russian nightclub, some big Russian looking dudes guarding the doors and everything. And this place looks like it's a fucking hole in the wall. It looks disgusting, hideous from outside. And as soon as you get inside, everything is full of crystal chandeliers. It looks very, very elegant. <laughs> so looks can be deceiving. You walked in there, I'm like, fuck, this place is really, really nice. Got to uh, witness Sean P performing a couple of cuts off uh, Barbarian Bars, that project he recently dropped before. He, he didn't even drop it at that point. And people didn't hear any of the songs, and he was just like performing one, two, three songs off it. I, I filmed a, a nice little tidbit of him doing one of the tracks. We cut it up, we put it on YouTube, got taken down the next day. Got hit by a copyright from Duck Down. <laughs> but uh, it was a great experience, man. It's uh, going to meet these guys, working with these guys. That's really cool. Block McLeod, like, uh, this guy's the most humblest guy I've met. You know what I mean? And there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. All right, so I do have another question. I did blank for a second, but that doesn't mean you're boring. It's just, you know what it is when you're on the grind. Sometimes your brain farts a little bit. Um what do you think about storylines? What do you think about the state of the movie industry today with how things are going? Look, nowadays what it is, everything uh, that's getting done in Hollywood and that's being produced as a movie, from my perspective, it's all remakes. Remake this, remake this, remake this. This did good in the 80s, let's remake it. This did good in the 90s, let's remake it. As far as storyline, I, f- I feel like all originality is out the window. People are losing all the originality that they have because there's just so much stuff out there. There's so many films. It's like that South Park Simpsons thing. Simpsons did it. Simpsons did it. Right. It's exactly like that mentality. So how do you work around that? I mean, you as a person making the movie. Like it's like, what, what do you want? First of all, when you write a script or you want to get into writing a story, write what you want to write about. Be comfortable with it. I'm not going to write a story about a doctor, and I know nothing about being a doctor, or I'm going to have to do all this research about the doctor and stuff like that, unless I really wanted to do that. That's something I could do. But it's better like write what you know, you know what I mean? So the first thing that I wrote was some street shit takes place in my neighborhood. Takes some some pieces of my life are in that script. Some pieces of this guy's life are in that script. There's a lot of elements from real life that I put into that script. Right. As far as the other short stories, same thing. There's elements that I heard in my life and I wanted to implement them into these stories. So that's how I come up with these come up with the stories. So it's not really like anything crazy it's basically just don't actually fake it you know just just be authentic with it absolutely look because at the end of the day you have to fake it right so I'm, you're gonna take the base this is the base this is that little chunk of that story 
And now we're going to put icing all over it. Okay. Put sprinkles, icing, and then that cherry on top. So, in fact, and that's how you get that because you got to keep people interested. So, in effect, it's like finding the balance between exactly. the story that you want to tell. So, you're basically saying that you, as a guy trying to make a movie, is effectively facing the same challenges as us rappery types trying to fight the modern markets of stuff, right? Like, I like three verses on a song. I'm going to be real with you. It's not the best business choice in the current climate to put that third verse it's it's like they, all the stats prove it right like you, you can like it all you want you can maybe want to do it but if you're not willing to adapt you're basically making the music for yourself and you're not actually making the music in an effort to grow it and push it and make other people hear it and you can make art for all the reasons and there's definitely all sorts of niche audiences out there but i think at this point in my life i'm starting to accept that if i want to <coughs> maybe like have a professional music career there's a lot of compromise that goes into that that a lot of people aren't willing to admit. And in a lot of sense, it is the glossing of it. It is making it good. Like, I actually bought colored lights because I know my room's a little ghetto, but it looks a lot less ghetto because I have colored lights. I don't know why, but it just had that effect. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that fucking worked out. You're giving a feel. It's a and uh, I don't know. It's just little things like that all started to, like, play into it. And I guess the visual to me was never very important when I started. And everybody told me visual matters and i'm like well it kind of matters it matters a lot less for podcasts but it does matter about first impressions and uh i guess as i get older the visual gets more important so what are some things that you can tell people like me who are like reluctant to get into like you know the visual side you're starting a youtube you're starting a podcast because you're a bunch of rappers a bunch of people like me are about to enter into the world of video proper proper in the next year in a youtube vloggy kind of way what kind of stuff can you give as tips to people who want to take down these paths on how they could avoid themselves some hurdles down the line? Well, for instance, it depends. Uh, maybe get the startup type of camera gear. Don't break the bank. Get something that fits your budget. Quality is nice. You can do what you need to do with it. That's definitely something you got to look into. I think I mentioned this to you before. Stabilization. Yeah, you did. You yeah, you got a stabilizer. Stabilizers, just that alone gives the image much more respect. You know what I mean? So if somebody sees like a shaky frame, as opposed to seeing a little bit of a smoother frame, it can be accomplished. And I told you, uh, you're like, oh, I, I did that one with my cell phone or something like that. And like there was, there's an eighty dollar stabilizer. It's the Osmo or something. Like, get that one, man. You're perfect. You're right. perfect. It's going to just make the image look so, way different. After that conversation, I was talking to my friend, and she's like, I got you, and showed up with a freaking <laughs> gimbal, and we we picked it up. Um, so what I actually took away from that is use stands if I don't have access. So, like, in my room when That's I take it. pictures now, because, you know, my dude yells at me when shit's blurry. He's like, dude, it's blurry. I'm like, fair enough. So now I start using stands. But, yo, we, we actually filmed a couple now. Uh, we did my last one with it, uh, my lose weight video. And there, there was no shakiness. They used the thingy, and it worked. It was like, it was. it's fucking weird because, yo, this shit holds the phone in place, and it, it's fucking baffling. I don't understand how it works. But I have to say, dude, as far as advice given to me, that shit was huge. 
because people really responded more to that video in a way. And I mean, every time I share it, people get excited a little bit and it gets some clicks and a couple more likes. And that doesn't happen with everything I do. And I, you know, how much all the other ones are like that, you know, like, and dude, that was huge. Like what other tips like that? Can you expand on that? Cause you had, that actually did help my entire brand. Well, yeah, you got that. You got the camera aspect. Like I said, uh, even a few minimal lights, a loom cube, loom cube. What's a loom cube? Uh, something portable. Loom cube is like one of those square lights that you can put on top of the camera. Why? What does that you do? Just screw it on top. It, it it illuminates the subject in front, or you can unscrew it, put it at a certain place that you need to. It's too dark right now. Like, oh, you're too dark. This place is. This location is amazing, but you're too dark in it. Okay. Have this little light. Have this little light to illuminate you, so you get to use the location and you get to see you, just as crystal clear as you want to. So that's another thing that I would suggest. As far as uh, Sound sounds not important since it's music videos, right? Like that's on. No, it might somebody be somebody else's. I'm talking like actually no, because as much as music videos are a thing, like check it. I I uh, have a mic. I mean, and I've got a sound card, and so on that front, I understand sound here. But outside of knowing about shitty lapel mics, right? Uh, I don't know fuck all about like. So I haven't actually left my apartment, but like I don't know how to go do this necessarily somewhere else on my gear and make it actually pop off like this i know how, like i don't really want to lug my fucking sound card plugged into my computer all that shit's not happening right now so i wouldn't know how to capture that sound if you were to say hold and go do that right now or what fucking gear i would even need like i'm sure i can google it don't get me wrong but i'm just wondering what you would think are like the key essentials for like an on the budget like you want let's say an interview like this what kind of like gear would you have if you were had like to the cameras and shit that are important? Was... Well, normally I would use a, a zoom, a zoom recorder, or I use a road mic. Okay. Road mic is the way to go. Put a dead cat on it. A dead cat is the. It's basically like the. It's like the spit guard. Okay. On a microphone. So you put that. That's, so that's the expression, the film expression. It's called a dead cat. I don't know why they say that. Because <laughs> the thing looks like a dead cat. But that's what you would need. You need a road mic or a zoom. Okay. And you're going to get some crystal clear audio. You got to know your levels. You got to know where to balance it. You got to know these things beforehand. You can't just pick it up, press record, and then we got it. It's not going to work with that. So you actually have to like basically understand the location and then you deal with ambient noise by Yeah, you gotta do your test. You gotta do your test and figure it out. Fair enough. Um All right, so outside of that, who do you, do you deal with editing? Are you an editor or do you outsource that? I do. I do all my editing at the moment. And uh what do you use for editing? I've used the uh, final cut for a brief uh, while. Then I had to like switch over to uh, Adobe Premiere because that's a standard. Anytime you're trying to get a corporate gig or somebody wants to hire you for something, they're always like, are you using Adobe Premiere? At that point, we weren't. We were using Final Cut. That's so it was always hindering hindering getting the job. So like, fuck it. We have to download Adobe Premiere wow. and learn it. Yeah, that's a gambit. Yeah. No, I'm saying that. I had to buy it, right? 
because like I work in software a little bit, right? And I've actually been on the other side of that. We were looking for animators, so we never would have come across you. But we were looking. For, I don't know if you do animations, actually. If you do, you know. I don't know. No, but we were looking for like an animated video and uh, a huge part of it was that we could access the file after and make moderations was part of what we were looking for. So it had to be in Adobe. But then if you look at Adobe's pricing model, it's all subscription as a service, right? So you have yeah, to subscribe. Yeah, yeah. We have to subscribe. And Adobe's got both ends just like that because it's the industry standard and it's actually just crazy for me to think about because adobe is ex like at that level you need like the suite right like you probably need all the tools in there so you can't just get away with like yo photoshop which is you know quasi affordable right like it's 18 a month for just photoshop um and then the whole thing is a lot more so that's nuts to think about the actual like just just at like a business model level and the impact on the industry it's gonna have because this isn't just like movies it's gonna be all creative industries are bound by subscription services to access all the tools that we need over time do you find this to be like so my perception on this is on the one hand a lot of us can do it now because before it was like six hundred dollars now we can all afford the whatever per month it sucks but we can afford it like a bill um on the other hand the number of bills are insane and it seems like at the end of the day it's just enough to get started and then i don't know maybe in your world there's a lot of more cash flow coming in because let's be real video editing is very coveted and in corporate land i have an idea of some of the numbers holy shit, that's lucrative and you guys are very very smart for going down the route that you did is all i'm trying to say uh, personally i'm trying to find a way to get rappers to get corporate because we have that avenue too if we actually think about it as performers um there is a circuit and I don't know how to get in, but there is a circuit that does uh corporate like conferences and they provide the entertainment and it's like a lot of money per set because <clears throat> it's the same kind of deal. What costs $200 for at the local bar, it costs $3,000 at a fucking corporation because they just have this, they have, they literally have money to spend every year. Like every company has money to spend on shit like this, like big companies. Like it's just, they got like a million dollars to throw at people like you. Just throw away money, man. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> so like just throwing it out there to any MCs and stuff listening, just remember in the low end, maybe we can't get paid at the buyer, but maybe in the future, there's a more posh version of this available at our disposal is, is all I'm trying to throw out there. So I think it's cool that you brought that up just in terms of your business model of aim high. And, uh, and uh there's definitely a market know your worth know your worth that's how i say yeah that's a hard one though it's hard like i've had to price myself as a freelancer for writing lately and my so on the one hand with one guy i'm cool with the rate but then i think about the future and other people right because you know you got your boy you're not you're not going to charge the same thing it's like you know what he could afford right i'm not free it's definitely not free but like then I, my boy like said another number and I was like, you can get that. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, and my, my conscience kicks in and it's like a battle inside of myself to like actually ask for what I'm worth. Like, it's hard for me to, you're a salesman. I can feel it. I have everything about you. I'm a customer service guy. It's the opposite end of that spectrum. I do I, very similar skill set, but it's hard for me to ask for myself in a way that it's easier for you to do it. So, um, how would you recommend, like, I guess, pricing yourself? How do you know your worth? 
Like, what is? How do you actually put a dollar value on that? Well, the way I see, first of all, you have to see what the market actually gets paid. Okay. See what everybody else is getting. Paid. So that's your first thing. You gotta study what everybody else is getting paid. Do some research. There's other competitors out there doing the same thing as you. Hit them up. See what their rate is. Hit them up as Joe Blow. Hey man, I want to get a video. What's your cost? Okay, this guy costs this much. This guy costs that much. I know what everybody costs now. <clears throat> Do I want to get into the market by undercutting everybody and sort of putting like the foot to them, foot to their their neck, saying I'm coming in, I'm undercutting everybody. That's one strategy. Or you can come in with the higher end quality because you're offering different things. I saw what your package is. I saw what your package is, your package. Everybody has so-and-so, but I have this, I have this, I have that, that you don't have. That's what I can offer more. That's what I can offer you that's going to increase your quality of your video. Mm. So that's, that's what I find people judge, judge the payment on. It's like, what kind of gear are we using? How many people on board for the shoot? How long are we going to be shooting for? Is it going to be a two-hour shoot and I, we're done? Like, no. You got you got the whole day with us, basically. You got the whole day, eight hours. We're gonna make this video happen. We got everything storyboarded. We got the, everything planned out, A to Z. You're in good hands, basically. And people like that, and they want to pay the money for that. And when it comes to knowing your worth, sometimes it could also be like you said, it could be a friend. And I want something done, and you gotta cut it short a bit. You're like, like I can't charge this guy out of. Like, it's okay. Normally, I wouldn't do this at all, but it's my homie. I want to see the best for him. Try to elevate the, the moment, you know what I mean? He's got that new track that's out. Let's fucking give him a video. Perfect. It's it's all on you. Like, do you want to give up your time to do it for somebody? Mm -hmm. I'm the type of person that helps out anybody. If I can help you out, I'll help you out. If I get burnt in the long run, then I know I can't work with you ever again. Right. But if you can ask anybody that's in my circle when it comes to helping them out and doing something on for free, taking the shirt, like I'll take the shirt off my back and help people, basically. Right. You can ask anybody, that's the type of guy I am. Like, I'll put you before me in certain situations. I love your ethic, man. It's really cool. I think, um, basically you have shown us a lot of good advice on how to how to basically build a business and be an entrepreneur in terms of spirit and attitude. And I think the way you've been humble the whole way through, you show respect to a lot of people in your story. You made sure to give credit to all the people in your story. You even made sure to clarify things and didn't overtake credit for things that are outside of your purview or scope, understanding your limitations and shit, which is fucking fire, in my opinion. And I think that that's really cool, dude. I think the fact that you're actually going up there and bringing Montreal hip-hop into your movie is huge. That's fucking cool. If you become this movie company thing and you make like seven movies that pop off and a bunch of Montreal MCs get this opportunity, you're doing shit like putting Montreal on the map in that, you know, you must have seen that conversation pop up a million fucking times lately. Um, I don't know if you do, but it's all over Facebook in my life. Um, it's a huge thing. People keep talking. I mean, you know, listen, you start interviewing people, my entire fucking thing is Montreal rappers now. That's all that it is. It's just that nonstop. So, like, <clears throat> comes up a lot, but I would argue that what you did is created an opportunity that actually really can do, like, in a different way. 
like I said, like people are gonna want to look into Merkur more after that. People are gonna want to look into tech more after that, and that's fucking cool. Like that, that is so cool for everybody. So I think it's really dope that you did that, and I'm hoping that people maybe not in the scene can watch and be like, yo, that is a way to contribute even, you know, just to like remember and think about it, you know, like, so that's fire. And I'm glad that we had this conversation. I know you got to go soon. So I don't want to like basically get caught up in like a whole new tangent thing. This seems like a fucking good place to wrap up. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I really have. Um, definitely. If you have any final thoughts and words and anything like that, that you do want to share while we still have some time, feel free to let us know. <clears throat> well, I just want to say thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure. We had a great conversation. There's so many more stories that I couldn't get into at the moment because of the way, the trajectory of the way it went. <clears throat> but now, like, they're all coming back to me. So I think definitely down the line, got to come back with a whole new scheme of questions, get into those, get into my time in the Dominican Republic and shit like that, working with certain individuals here and there. Uh, I think I think I should create a list of pointers, a list of pointers, and just uh, run them by you and see what we think on that. But I want to let I want to thank everybody for listening to on top of it. Whoever is actually listening live, whoever listens afterwards, subscribe to Behind That Suit on Twitch TV. It was a great time talking to Holden today. He has something going on with this channel. Thank you. So you guys really got to keep uh, your eyes on him. You're doing something great, man. I just want to learn, man. That's all it really is. And I felt like you were a guy worth learning from. Um, I definitely think a uh, list of pointers is cool. I don't know how to do episode two yet, to be honest with you, with most people. I tried it out for the first time, and I'm like, nope, I don't know how to do episode two yet. So absolutely. But for me, episode one's about the calibration and the story, right? The most important thing that we get is who you are. Because now somebody can write your Wikipedia page or some shit and it's all facts. That's, that's media, right? This is fucking what... That is, my ep, that is my mission with everybody with episode one. So I feel like we got through that. It was definitely like a little different for me because everyone else has been just like music. So this was also cool. It was like stepping out of my comfort zone. Like as much as your music, your story is a lot different. Like you're in, I'm not really a film guy. I mean, I might make a fucking video shit, but let's be real. My shit's so low end. That's why I chose this format. Um, but so that was cool. Like, yeah, I feel like this was great and it kind of helps the brand get bigger than it is. And hopefully, you know, some of your peeps go, yo, I want that. I want to fucking come tell my story too. And we can, cause you taught us shit, man. You taught us things that were valuable in this. And that's at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do with this platform. Um, so yeah. Thank y'all for watching, like he said. Like he said it really eloquently. But y'all can do the follows and the subscribes and the likes. And also leave comments because I would love to have you back in the future. Especially when you get closer to your like movie you know, release, hyping that shit up a bit. Gonna have all we'll have you on the red carpet. You'll be on the red Ooh. carpet. Exclusive media. Don't worry that's about fucking it. amazing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's real cool. Um, special thanks to the patrons. Ismail Gadamsi, Chris Prado, Jonathan Barnes, CJ Black, Hurricane, Linda Williams, and Scribble. They're dope support what we do. If you do like this shit and you want to do dollars and you're not on Twitch, which, where it's easy and click, uh, patreon.com slash behind that suit. Most of it's music reviews and shit, but I guess we'll find a way to add the interviews into that. Um, yeah, so on that note, everybody, it was fucking fresh. It was real awesome to have you here and live long and prosper. Peace. Thank you.